1975, I started playing hard rock. It was a sandlot game, but it was competitive between neighborhoods. Vawa, NDG, the west and east side of Dorval. We played at Cortland Park, and the city shaped hockey boards as our home run fence. So home runs were legit, versus a ball that escaped an outfielder and ran forever. I also worked at the park as a groundskeeper, so you could say my minimum wage made me the only professional player. And even now, I marvel at the speed of one of our players, Steve Williams. On base, he was like a cat taunting the pitcher as he stretched off base. And he could steal bases at will. He wasn't built like a runner, but he was fast. By 1976, I turned us into a league with uniforms and new baseballs versus ones bursting from their seams, and real umps to call strikes and prevent fistfights. The same summer, the Olympics were happening in Montreal. I began my lifelong obsession with these games and what it meant to compete for country and for being the best in the world. And my favorite events were the men's 100 and 200 meter sprints. That summer, 63 athletes from 40 nations competed for the fastest man in the world, and it was a Cinderella story. The event was won by Hazley Crawford of Trinidad and Tobago. In the inside lane one, he narrowly won the 100 meter final in a time of 10.06 seconds. After that, I became a fan of track and the women and men who compete, the hurdles, high and long jumps, decathlons and relay races. But the big personalities and the big events seemed to always fall within the 100 and 200 meters. People like Carl Lewis, Linford Christie, Ben Johnson, Donovan Bailey, Green and then Usain Bolt. But for me, one that really stands out is Andre de Grasse. And de Grasse gets the bronze medal! Andre de Grasse! It's not just that he's wrapped in our flag with blazing speed. He's won a medal in every Olympic and World Championship final he's ever competed in. But Andre also stands out for his integrity, his love for his mother, his partner, his kids, and his purpose that extends beyond the track and all of its trappings to a higher purpose. I'm just so happy to be here right now to race against these guys in the final and to get myself a bronze medal here. I'm just, I'm speechless right now. <laughs> You're listening to the iHeartRadio Canada Talk Network, and this is Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman, presented by RBC. Andre, welcome to Chatter That Matters. The idea of the show is I talk with ordinary people who do extraordinary things, regardless of circumstance. And I find that their life lessons, their life experiences, inspire me and others to do more and to be more. So, so welcome. Oh, man. oh, thank you, Tony. Thank you for having me. And we've got a lot of ground to cover, but first, let's begin by reliving your 200-meter gold medal performance. The gun, and they're away. Head down, driving phase. Aaron Brown with a great bend, as usual. Same with DeGrasse as he pulls up on the shoulder of Benarek through the bend. It is DeGrasse and Benarek side by side. Now Knighton going hard, and inside, Noah Lyles has popped up. Here comes DeGrasse, accelerating. DeGrasse at the line. He's got the gold medal. Andre DeGrasse, 19. 62, a personal best and another Canadian record, accelerating from the back, taking the gold medal. Andre DeGrasse. Andre, I interviewed Chris Hadfield about what it was like before he blasted off in space for the first time. He was a kid that used to dream of going to the stars, and then one day he had a chance to go there. What does an athlete like you do and feel before you blast out of those blocks? Yeah, there's a lot of preparation that goes into it. First of all, I train six days a week. I'm in the weight room two to three times a week. For me, yeah, there's a lot of preparation that really goes into it before I actually really blast out of the blocks <laughs> and, and run my race. 
it's not just myself, but it's a whole team around me that helps me prepare for these moments, whether that's the world championship or the Olympics. You know, I have my coach, my massage guy, I have my therapist, uh, my teammates. How do you get back into your inner self? Like, for example, when I used to go into a big pitch, I always played M&M's Lose Yourself. You know, you got one shot. I mean, I just, I, I found, I wanted to get all everybody that set me up for success as much as I embraced them, at that moment when I got to the point where it was me versus the world, I tried to find a way to get myself into a zone. How do you do that? I, I listen to a lot of music. It helps me get in the zone a lot. So on the track, when I'm warming up on the track and getting ready to go into that tunnel and getting ready to go into the stadium, there's a lot of uh, preparation with that where I'm like, okay, well, let me listen to my favorite artist. Let me get in the zone. Let me get hyped up. Let me get uh, energetic. Uh, get my adrenaline going. So I think that really plays a bigger role in uh, how I perform as well. Um, the fans get me riled up. They get me uh, ready to go. When we're warming up in the stadium, I can hear I can hear the starting gun going off and I can hear the fans yelling. So I think that all that really just helps me say, okay, wow, I'm here in the zone. I'm ready to go. There's thousands of interviews of you talking about winning the gold medal. But what I'm intrigued with is that moment after you win and they've set up the screen with your family. They can't be with you to see this incredible moment in your life. But the absolute joy I could see on your face, that must have been one of the most magical moments, not only of the race, but I have to say your life. Yeah, for sure. I mean, of course, like I think my uh, my kids don't know it now, but uh, <laughs> but of course, they're gonna. I think they're going to remember this moment as they get older and as they approach um, teenagers and then adult life, they're going to look back at that film and say, wow, like hopefully, you know, my, my, uh, that's a big moment for my dad. When they were kids just watching it, it would have been great to have them in the stadium, but don't know as time goes on, like, yeah, like we were in a pandemic. It wasn't the greatest year, but you know, you got to, you got to watch me run at the highest level and, and win my, and win my first gold medal at the Olympics. So I think that would be a, a huge moment, you know, not just for myself, but for them watching me. And then of course, um, you know, my girlfriend watching me, uh, she's always inspired me and motivated me. She had won, you know, the world championship in uh, 2019. I heard there was a little family trash talk that said, unless you came back with a gold and a world championship or the Olympics, she wasn't sure she was going to give you a seat at the table. Is that Sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I, guess, I guess you could say that a little bit. She's won a couple of gold medals herself. So like, I'm like, oh, okay, I gotta, I gotta, you know, bring it, bring it home too, right? I gotta <laughs> have one for my, have one for for the family as well, right? They can't just talk about mommy all the time, you know. Mommy won all the golds, and uh, and uh, daddy, all you have is a, I have a silver and bronze, right? So, um, do you get to put your medal in the same place as her, as hers on a mantle of a couple inches higher than yours? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that, that would be awesome. But of course, she, she wouldn't have that. <laughs> what are you thinking about when you're listening to the anthem? Are you thinking about how you lifted the spirits of the country? Are you thinking about your family, yourself? Or is it just so surreal that you don't even, you can't even co- comprehend thought? Oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> to be honest, my first thought was like, wow, I haven't heard the national anthem since I probably was in like high school, <laughs> right? Because, <laughs> you know, in high school and elementary school, they play the national anthem every day. And now as you're an adult, you don't, you don't, really, you don't really hear it all the time. It's just an amazing feeling to be able to hear that. You're like, okay, wow, like uh, the national anthem's going up. You see the fans in the stadium, a couple of the fans, a couple of my teammates, um, you know, having the, the, the national flag, waving it. To be honest, it's really a surreal feeling. Like you're just like, wow, like I can't believe 
this is actually happening right now. And you're hearing other, you know, I've been hearing other people's national anthem as I got up there. So now it's like, finally, like I got to hear, you know, my own, my own and where I, you know, where I grew up I'm doing this now, just, you know, obviously for the, my family, my friends and, and everybody else, but the whole country is, 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 is able to hear this, uh, this moment. So, uh, Andre DeGrasse of Markham, Ontario succeeds Usain Bolt as Olympic champion in the men's 200 meters. Listen, we need we needed it this summer, man. We needed the performance of what Canada did and how proud they were. We share something in common. My mom, who's no longer with me, sadly, she died very at early, quite an early age at fifty three. But she was my hero. She was the the glue. And when I hear you talk about your mom and she talk about you, there's something very special there, isn't it? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, my mom is a uh, part of me, and um, she's always giving me the right guy and the right focus, and always, you know, always giving me uh, good advice throughout my um, throughout my life. Um, so I mean, yeah, it's always it's always good to, you know, I know for her it was like the bummer because she didn't get a chance to um, come out to Tokyo and watch me run, and she's always been to like all my races. For her, it's like it's always enjoyable, but uh, it's not it's not always all about track. It's just about being a good human being. So I think she's uh, she's done a good job raising me and uh, I know a lot of people always give her credit for that so it's an awesome feeling to have her a part of my journey and her just being there along the way just uh, helping me help me every step so I hear she was a, also a high school sprinter in Trinidad and Tobago she must have been a huge fan of uh, Hazley Crawford oh yeah yeah for sure yeah Hazley Crawford uh, Otto Bolden track soccer and uh, cricket is what they used to play growing up and and, and a little bit of netball She's always, she was always happy like when I chose track because I always used to like I used to like playing basketball, like play soccer, but she always had that passion for track and field. So um, I think she's just happy that I'm, I actually pursued the sport. I mean, I'm super, super proud and super, super excited. I feel like I'm on, on a high and I don't know how to come down. I had no doubt that he would get that goal in the 200 meters. One of the reporters in Tokyo called me and I uh, was able to talk to him and uh, he was like so excited, so happy, you know. I finally did it, you know, I finally did it, man. You're listening to Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman, presented by RBC. My special guest is Andre DeGrasse. So let me talk a little bit about basketball. I'm a season ticket holder for 15 years with the Raptors. I love them. And you played against Wiggins in high school. You had a Vince Carter sweater on your wall. That's that was originally your passion, wasn't it, to become a professional basketball player? Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. My first role was soccer, and then I got into basketball as I got, you know, into my my teenage years, almost, you know, when I was about to hit puberty. Yeah, I mean, I I, I loved playing basketball. That was my that was my joy. Of course, I loved watching the Raptors and you know Vince Carter and T Mac, Tracy McGrady, and those guys. Uh, kind of just developed that that love for the sport because of seeing other people playing it. I had my, my friends were playing basketball. So I got kind of serious with it. I play I feel like I played with a lot of good players, some players that are in the NBA right now. <laughs> like you name, like like you said, Angie Wiggins. Um so I played with a lot of good people. I still find some time to <laughs> some time to do it here and there in the off season. So you and Wiggins underneath the court in a park in Markham, how many points would you score against him before you got to 21? <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, I don't know. I'm not sure. Um, I, I, I definitely score a lot, but, uh, maybe, maybe I, maybe I could win. I love that. I definitely score a lot. I, maybe I could win. I, that is your attitude that comes through. It's just, uh, so this, is this mythology because often we create myths around our, the world's best athletes, but I hear 
that, you know, the basketball program was canceled in the school. Somebody said, you know, why don't you try out for track? You show up, you've got a pair of basketball shorts, you borrow somebody's spikes, you do a standing start, like you're going from first base because you don't know what the starting blocks are, and, and you come in second. I had a choice to either transfer schools and go play basketball somewhere else, you know, just or, or just play basketball outside of high school because, you know, they have like the AAU league and it was weird. Like, yeah, I just, that's how I got into track. And I think when I started getting good at it and I came that, and like you said, I came second place. How did all the other athletes feel that have been practicing and working on track? You show up looking disheveled and you don't even use the starting blocks and you come in second with a time under 11 seconds and third of the 200 meter. They couldn't believe it. They're like, they thought it was, they thought it was fake. <laughs> and then Tony Sharp's in the stands, who's, I guess, just scouting and sees us. He invites you to come in and he helps you train. Is that one of the moments in your life that you look and say, I'm so happy he was there because there was somebody that really saw something in me that in fact has become a world champion? Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it's crazy how this 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 guy, Tony, he just discovers talent. It's like a gift for me. Like, yeah, when he said that, you know, I was going to be one of the guys that, you know, that were that's talented, it was going to be great. Of course, of course, I didn't believe him at the moment. I'm like, just came out here. It's my first time. He's like, no, it doesn't matter. Like, I just know that if you pursue this sport and you actually work hard and find the right coaching, you're 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 going to be one of the guys to watch out for. That's a big life decision for you. You know, you walk away, you're going, you had a great meet. You could have just celebrated it, talked about it over dinner with your mom. But now you've got someone saying you could be one of the best. When when Tony told me maybe a week or two later and he said, hey, I have a scholarship offer for you to go off to the U.S. And it happened that fast. I said, oh, wow, I think I need to, I need to pursue this. People for basketball and soccer, they, they got to wait. They got to wait like months to get a scholarship, right? Like it doesn't just happen that fast. Like literally someone wants to give me a, a full ride scholarship to go off to school in the U.S. and pursue this sport. So I said in the back of my mind, I said, maybe I'll try to, maybe I'll try to see if I can get a double scholarship, see if I can pursue both, right? Get back, do basketball and uh, track. But when I, <laughs> of course but when did. I got, <laughs> well, so, I, so I think that's how I took, that's how I approached it maybe. And I was like, well, okay, I'll take this track scholarship. And then maybe I'll, I'll try out for the team, for the basketball team when I get there and try to do be a dual sport because I see people do that all the time for um, football and track. But, um, well, yeah, when I got there, it was just a different story. It was like, man, like everyone wanted me to just stick stick to this. They're like, this is what's going to take you far. And I think that's what uh, made me realize, okay, maybe I need to uh, stop focusing on basketball and just, you know, have all my time commitment towards track. So you go to USC, you're in the bastion of track and field. I mean, to America, track and field, this is what they want to claim every medal for. And it seems like months later, you go from being, who is this person to winning the 100 meter and the 200 meter as the Eagles sing, there's a new kid in town, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, uh, that's exactly what happened. You're absolutely right. I mean, remember my coach telling me, like, you have an opportunity to do something special here. And no one is not a lot of people have ever done this before. Um, kind of just took her word for it. I said, I just believed in myself, had that confidence and to say, hey, OK, well, she sees something that I don't see. So maybe I need to um, believe in myself and, and have that confidence to say, OK, yeah, I mean, she's right. Let's go out and uh and do something special. And what I heard that she was setting you up for the IAF championships, but a little thing was happening in the middle of it called the Pan Am Games in Canada. And you show up there and you crush it. Two come from behind wins. Yeah, I was so I was so nervous. <laughs> I remember that. Um, 
I remember I was like, oh my goodness, like the pressure was really on. I, I, I mean, I'm at home, I'm in Toronto, I'm, I'm in front of my family and friends. It's like a sold out crowd. It's something that I've never done before, right? It's my first time ever doing this. And I just remember my coach, he was like, yeah, don't, you know, don't really uh, focus too much on, on what other people are doing. Just, just focus on yourself. After the first round, I was still nervous. So um, after the second round, I got the jitters off and I was able to run that fast. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, yeah, maybe I can do this. Like the fans are just cheering for me. They're energetic and I'm just feeding off the crowds. So I think that was kind of, I kind of just used that to my advantage. I don't want to take you to 2015, a Swedish television interviewer is talking to you about your bronze. And in the middle of the interview, I don't know if you remember this, but Usain Bolt pops in. And he gives you a hug. Did you ever know? Did you even know who he was when the season started? No. Don't you, but man, listen. Great job. That's all I can say. Well done, man. Well done. Well done. So how about that? How does that feel? Then? It feels good to be respected by Usain Bolt, the king, the king, the greatest of all time in the world. Uh, I'm so happy right now. <laughs> yeah, I could. I couldn't believe it. That was a shocker. <laughs> it was real, 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 uh, real shocker. It was such a surreal feeling to be able to be, you know, respected by the fastest man in the world and, you know, the world record holder. And it was crazy like, to believe that I, I belong here. Like, you know, I mean, I just started track and field. I'm over here doing some special things. And that's when I realized I'm like, I can't take this for granted. So the real Olympics, I'm in Woody Point, Newfoundland. I'm in a bar with friends. And I said, listen, I, I got to watch this race. And the bar was packed. You would have thought it was Team Canada playing Team USA. And that picture that defines the games, you know, with you and Bolt smiling at each other, him pointing at you. I understand there was more to that picture than meets the eye, that this was, in fact, your strategy to get him to run fast in the qualifying rounds so that you could tire him out and have a shot at the, uh, the medal. Is that true? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what was, the, what was the game plan. My coach telling me, like, you know, you're younger. You got fresher legs. You'll be able to uh, bounce back the next day. Uh, and he was a little bit older at the time. I think this, that was, this, yeah, this was his third Olympics. And it, and it kind of worked. I mean, it worked because he, he, he ran the same time the, the next day. So I knew he was tired, but obviously I was tired as well. I think if I had a lot, a little bit more time and, and I was a lot more experienced, maybe, maybe it could have gone, gone a different way. So you, you sign a big contract after that with Puma, but your mom still wants you to go back to school. What did you do? Yeah. I mean, um, well, of course I signed the contract. <laughs> I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't, uh, I couldn't pass that up. <laughs> I won't mention the numbers, but not many could pass that contract <laughs> out. But, um, but yeah, I mean, after the Olympics, I ended up, um, it's different nowadays. It's, it's so different because nowadays you can actually, you can do both now. Like the NCAA rules have changed so much now than when I was in school. Now you can actually, you know, sign a contract now and still be in school and, and, and getting paid and all that. So focusing on the Olympics and after the Olympics was over, I went back to school and finished my last four classes um, at USC and the rest was history. So it kind of felt good to, to get my degree because uh, that's what my, you know, my mom wanted. I also wanted it for myself as well, because it's always good to, have a fallback plan and get an education because it's not like the big sports like basketball and, um, and, and, and football and hockey, you know, it's track is a, a shorter lifespan. We never know what can happen with injuries and, and things like that and how many Olympics you can get. So you've got a massive contract with Puma, you've got three medals and you go back. Was it tough to finish those four courses? It was pretty easy. <laughs> um, you're in school now, you feel like you're a regular student. And you're no longer that student athlete with that um, rigorous uh, schedule. That made things a lot more better for me um, to be able to, to be successful. 
Hi, this is Tony Chapman. You're listening to Chatter That Matters. Download this episode at chatterthatmatters.ca or wherever you get your podcast. When we come back, Andre's going to share what motivated him to write a children's book and what he hopes kids will take away. Will Mitchell hold on? She does! It's a goal for Kelsey Mitchell of Canada! RBC Training Ground identifies raw talent and then works to help athletes reach the top. At an RBC Training Ground event, Cycling Canada took notice of the power of Kelsey Mitchell's legs. Placed on a watt bike in six seconds of furious pedaling, she exceeded the national standard and she hadn't owned a bike since she was 12. Today, Kelsey Mitchell is a gold medalist. What is it with women's sprinters in Canada? Wow! Her success and yours matter to RBC. Yeah. You trained for four years yeah. for 10 seconds of your life. <laughs> to be honest, I really just kind of lean on my family and my friends. Like if I, they're kind of the one that keep me grounded, you know, yeah. keep me focused, keep me locked in, make sure that I'm doing all the right things. You're listening to Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman, presented by RBC. My special guest is Andre DeGrasse. We're talking about his incredible accomplishments. He's won a medal in every Olympic and World Championship final he's competed in. And he's done it in such a short order. So, Andre, I want to continue off track. Your daughter, Yuri, encourages you to write a book called Race With Me, Targets Kids and Young Adults. It's a fantastic book. I went through it. I love it. And I, what I really loved was that first statement you make about your life where you go, when I run, I feel free. Yeah, I mean, it just makes me feel like I don't have to worry about what else is going on in the world, right? You're kind of just focused on that one thing, right? And it makes me feel like I'm having fun again, right? Because there's a lot, there's a lot that goes on, right? O- off the track, you know, there's so many responsibilities, what's going on in the world. Like there's just, there's a lot of other stress factors that play into um, a person's life. So for me, you know, when people have that getaway, like where no one can reach them, no one can call them. It's just here, you're, you're having your alone time. You're just free. I don't have to worry about anything just for these, this hour or two hours or however long I'm, I'm at the track running. And then I can come back and say, okay, time to get back to reality. It's, that's how it feels like when you're a kid, there should be no drama, no stress. You're, you just, you should be at, you should be a kid and just be having fun. What do you want kids to feel after they've read your book? Then? Yeah. I just want them to feel inspired and, 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 uh, and motivated, right? Like motivated to, to find their drive, find their passion, find something that they love to do. Like how I love like how I love to run, find that love for whatever you, whatever you want to do, whether that's uh, sport, film, acting, like whatever drives you. And of course I, I write some messages in there in that book about how, you know, you, there's going to be, there's going to be a little bit of adversity. There's going to be, there's going to be a little bit of give and take, but you want to just, you want to just have fun and, and enjoy the moment and, and, and never give up and always continue to pursue and, and follow your dreams. No matter, no matter what happens. I think one of the best stories where you convey that has nothing to do with track, but you talk about it as a kid, you got your cue card, you're ready to do your speech and you, and you drop your cards and you said, but I still had to go out and do it. And you know what? It was good. I mean, I, I thought that was a great lesson in life for kids because it's always athletes tend to always use athletic metaphors but you really you just talked about something that would happen in a classroom in any given day <laughs> yeah so yeah i remember that day i was i was really nervous <laughs> so uh, but i still had to you know you still gotta deliver right just uh go for it and you know it's kind of like one of those things like which is what you know whatever happens happens but uh you just gotta just keep going and uh don't give up if you hadn't been a track star what do you think you would be doing right now? I went to school for social work. So, I mean, I really love working with kids. So that's something that I really found a passion about doing. But I think now 
as uh, as time goes on and as I get older, uh, I really like I've I've I found other passions in my life now that I think that I might pursue when I'm done. Whether that's I like sports management, so whether that's to be like a manager or an agent, um, I have, I'm now finding a passion for coaching. I think anything evolves around around you know just helping the next generation. So your partner's Nia Ali at CBC called you to the fastest parents in the world. She brought to your life her son Titus, and you guys have had now have Yuri and a new son. What's family life like? How do you balance the, all the pressures you talk about and the desire to still be a kid inside with family and everything else? I think it's fun being a dad right now. Uh, my kids are young, so it's good I'm young. So I feel like I can play with them all the time and have that energy for them. Of course, they have the most energy in the world, I feel like. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I mean, it's just fun to just be able to just enjoy and, and, and kick back with them, um, you know, you know, and just, and just watch them, watch them grow. Um, How do you think they've changed you? Oh, uh, they changed me a lot. I feel like now that I have kids now, I can't dwell on stuff. Right. It's like, it's like it doesn't bother me as much as it used to. Right. Because now like when you come home, you, you can't really sulk and, and, and dwell on things. You, you have someone that's in your face, smiling in your face and wanting to play with you 24 seven. Right. So it makes you forget about all the other things that that's going on. Right. And then, of course, of course, there's more responsibility with it, but uh, but it's it's it feels like at this stage right now it's a good responsibility, right? Because it's like a good getaway and go teach them new things, and uh, it's always fun to me and how they react and how they uh, how they laugh and play. And how about your foundation? I, I hear this is something you're incredibly passionate about. Yeah, I mean, I started my foundation back in 2018. Um, you know, the Andre de Grasse Family Foundation. For me, I I really wanted to start that foundation because. I just remember when I was young, right? And I remember like growing up and and wanting to pursue sports. And I remember people told me like, it's expensive. It's expensive to put your kids in sports and provide them with all the resources that they need, whether that's, you know, for hockey, you need skates, you need a stick, you need helmet, you need so many things. Or if it's basketball, you need, uh, you need, uh, you need basketball shoes. Uh, you need everything for track. You need like spike. It's, it's, it's like all these resources you, you need for, for sports. And, um, I know a lot of kids don't have the necessities they need. And there's so many talented, talented kids out here. That's why I wanted to really start that to just really inspire them and, and, and empower them through that and give them, give them those resources so that they can go off and, and get a, get a scholarship and get a good education out of it. It feels good because now we've started the future champions fund we've provided a bunch of scholarships to kids. Now they're going off to university. So that's always a good feeling for me. And then of course, yeah, just uh, keep that going and keep that new, that generation going. So, so uh, your agent, Brian Levine tells me that you're focused on the right fit when it comes to sponsors, people that reflect your lifestyle. A lot of people just take the money and run. You don't. Why? Yeah. I mean, I just want authentic, genuine partners that really uh, support me. Things that fit my personality, fit my motto, fit what I want to accomplish and what I want to, you know, provide for the next generation. What I want, basically what I want my legacy to be when I'm, when I'm done running. So, I mean, yeah, of course there's always the, those partners that you want to, you, you have some fun with. So you, you can, you can, uh, you know, goof, have, have some goofy partners and do some fun stuff. But then also I want some partners also that, that are not just, they're not here short term. You know, I want the long term, long term partners that support me throughout my career, helping my foundation and, and getting it, getting it off the ground and providing that support to the next generations. And the one that surprised me, and I'm bringing uh, Dr. Ryan Todd on afterwards, is adversity. It was a startup focused on mental health. And when I listen to the interviews, you're really passionate about this. So tell me why that sponsorship matters beyond just the fact that you're uh, you're one of their ambassadors. 
Yeah, I mean, I think mental health is really important, right? You know, I've had I've had a little bit of my battles as well with with mental health. So, and I think just with the pandemic, it's 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 giving people more of an opportunity now. Like people now now notice it even more. Um, so I thought it was a good time to really jump on board with adversity because they they value all the things that I want to I want to show and I want to showcase. And I think yeah, like you said, Ryan is he's a he's a great guy. Uh, I've had, we've had lots of talks about about mental health and what he, and how he wants the company uh, to keep going and, and progressing. Um, so, I mean, I think that's, that's a, that's a company that I want to be, I want to be around for a long time. I want to end with one question. You might've been asked this a thousand times, but I think it's an important one because there's a lot of kids that don't feel they belong or they don't have the right outfit or they don't have the right permission or background. And I think of you as that young kid, basketball shorts, borrowed shoes, and you went after it. What can you tell other people that you don't need everything just to put that first foot forward and go after something you believe in? You don't. <laughs> Look at me, right? Um, I think all you need is really is you need heart, right? You need heart. You need to have that, that support. I think that's, it's really important for people to have support and let them know that, hey, if you have a strong heart and you want to go and you're ready to go after your goals and you're, and you're focused on your dreams... And you have that mentality, make sure you have that mentality to not give up. Things will go your way, right? I mean, it might not always go your way, but there's going to be ups and downs along the road and you're going to face a little bit of adversity, but you're going to be able to accomplish your goals if you just keep going and never giving up. Lots of young guns coming into sports, getting more competitive than ever. You've overcome injury. You're getting on in your career and you're still going after the 100 and 200. That's very rare now in your sport. Mostly people just focus on one or the other. Are you going to continue to combine efforts and go after uh, both repairs? Yeah, as long as my as long as my body, as long as my mind, my body <laughs> and my soul, everything, everything tells me that I can that I can do it, then uh yeah, I'm going to keep going after it, right? I feel like I'm still young. I feel like I still I still got it in me. So um that's how I'm going to I'm going to approach it and and, and keep training. Keep training for both events until uh, until the wheels fall off. <laughs> well, whether I'm in Woody Point, Newfoundland, or one of my dreams to be in Paris, I can promise you a standing ovation from this fan. Andre, thank you so much for joining me on uh, Chatter That Matters and sharing such incredible life lessons with, uh, with my audience. Oh, it's all right. Thank you so much, Tony, for having me. I appreciate it. One of the things I think is so interesting about how we like treat uh, superstar athletes in our world is we, I think we really forget that they're human beings, <laughs> yes. right? Like we're like, well, of course, Andre's going to medal. Of course he's going to, and like, we don't even think about the pressure mm-hmm. and the need to build these skills, but it sounds like you are still learning, still actively building skills like focus and mindfulness. And you, you brought up bravery and confidence. Mm-hmm. So you right. practice these, these things every single day. I feel like my life I have to have balance and in balance there's like time management, uh, being responsible, knowing focus only on one thing at a time because you know sometimes it can it can get overwhelming, right? With with so much going on in your life, um, whether it's in the workplace or you know, being a dad. I'm always fascinated by the relationship between Olympians and their sponsors. It has to be a true partnership, one that reflects each other's values. They have to support each other versus one pulling the other down. Joining me now is Dr. Ryan Todd. He's a psychiatrist and the CEO of Headversity. And they've made Andre DeGrasse one of their resilience ambassadors. Dr. Todd, uh, welcome to Chat of the Matters. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate the show. So in my interview with Andre, he mentions how he's very selective with 
who he works with, brands that he feels reflects his values and his purpose. And he chose to work with adversity. Tell me a little bit about what you're doing and why you feel that matters so much to Andre. I think it would be easy for a guy like Andre to get whatever sponsor he wants because he is prolific and he's, he's well-spoken and he's articulate. He's everything. Like he's, he's a perfect person for so many sponsorship groups. So we were really heartened to hear that, you know, resilience and mental health and upskilling and, and workforce mental health were issues that resonated with him. We were really happy to hear that this was something that he would want to carry forth in terms of a partnership, because you're absolutely right. That partnership, there's so many loose ends around a sponsorship deal that you need to have a lot of trust between those two parties. So to build that trust and then be motivated by the same mission and purpose. What are you hoping he will do as an ambassador for you? Like what what would be, what would you deem to be, that was a great partnership. One of the most important things that we do in our business is educate. And we are on a mission to change the paradigm of mental health around this being a one in five issue that, you know, if there's five people in a room, only one person is going to deal with quote unquote mental health. Uh, We think that messaging has run its course. And we think the more important messaging is around mental health is actually a five in five issue, right? We think that everyone, you and I, we all have mental health issues and we all have to build resilience and we all have opportunities to upskill in our day-to-day life. That is what Andre represents for us is somebody who has worked through adversity, used resilience skills and developed them in himself, and then used that to perform in the world stage. So we want him to continue to educate the world on what mental health should be, which is everyone has mental health. Everyone can benefit from training. Mental wellness is the thing that we should be talking about. So I've watched a couple of great interviews that you both have had. There's great chemistry. What can we expect next from Andre DeGrasse and Adversity? We just released a docu-series uh, with uh, Andre called Uncharted. And that actually outlined the, the relationship that Andre and I kind of developed over the course of time and how we first met and how we got to work with Andre. Uh, so you'll see more of that type of media. Andre works with some of our premier clients, some of our premier business relationships to continue to educate and do that messaging. So you'll you'll see a lot more public appearances from Andre uh, working with with adversity and continuing to educate the world on this important messaging. And when you're determining sort of return on that investment, because obviously that costs you money, not only to have uh, Andre as your ambassador, but obviously to create this content, what kind of metrics do you put in place? Or is it just gut that says that was just the right thing to do? Undoubtedly, this was the right thing to do. And there was a gut feeling there. You know, our marketing department has metrics on like, you know, are we getting views and are we getting clicks and all this stuff that I think is secondary to the key, uh, portion of the relationship, which is, um, you know, we want to and need to have really important people, articulate people, people that can carry the message forth. We need to have those people uh, forefront of the message. Without that, adversity isn't accomplishing our core mission, right? To be the new frontier of workplace mental health. Without somebody carrying that torch with us, then we're not doing our job, regardless of the ROI. 
Joining me now on Chatter That Matters is Mark Thomas. He's the Director of Brand Marketing at RBC, and he's very involved in RBC's Olympic programming. Mark, I understand that RBC's been sponsoring the Olympics for over 70 years. Why has that been such a priority in terms of where you invest your sponsorship dollars? Yeah, you're right. So RBC has been a proud, a very proud supporter of the Canadian Olympic movement since 1947, which means that 2022 will mark our 75th year of partnership and support, you know, for RBC and for Team Canada. There's a real desire to see our athletes and communities across Canada thrive and prosper. So a big move that you made a few years ago was this concept of the RBC training ground. Instead of just putting your logo out in sponsorships, you put your money where your mouth was. Tell us a little bit about training ground and why it matters so much for helping Canadian athletes own the podium. RBC Training Ground was launched a few years ago, a few short years ago in 2016, and is at its core a talent identification and athlete funding program that is aimed to uncover young athletes with Olympic potential. So it is RBC's commitment to helping find and fund the next generation of Team Canada. Any athlete in Canada between the ages of 14 to 25 can register for the program, and that gives them the chance to see if they might be suited for an Olympic sport by performing a number of different testing measures, speed, power, strength, and endurance testing. The program, which was predicated on being in a physical gym, turned virtual recently, giving athletes all across Canada the opportunity to participate in a safe and accessible way. Once the athletes have gone through that testing, we work with our partners at Team Canada to invite those participants to more sport-specific testing with some select national sport organization partners. 100 athletes get invited to what we call the RBC Training Ground National Final uh, with the chance to earn funding and a possible spot on Team Canada. There's an ad earlier in the program that I used Kelsey Mitchell as an example of training ground. Cycling Canada saw the power of her legs, did some testing. She said, well, I haven't even had a bike since I was 10 years old, and now she's a gold medalist. Is that just one in a million, or is there other athletes that have really run the gauntlet and got to the podium because they first uh, saw their potential at the training ground? So on the whole, there were more than 30 RBC Olympians who competed at Tokyo 2020, with eight of those athletes having come through the doors of the RBC training ground program. Four of those eight athletes ended up winning medals. You mentioned Kelsey Mitchell, Jerome Blake, won bronze in the men's 4x100 relay at Tokyo, Lorianne Genet won bronze in women's cure and track cycling, Avalon Wastanese brought home gold for Canada in women's eight rowing. Again, there were a host of other athletes who uh, had made their way through the RBC training ground doors at some point in the last few years who were competing in Tokyo. We are also just about 100 days out, uh, less than 100 days out now from the Beijing 2022 games and are really hopeful to have RBC training ground athletes compete and contend there as well. So I think the program in its short lifespan continues to gain momentum and, and we're really just proud to be a part of these athletes' journey. Well, listen, I really appreciate you joining me on Chatter That Matters. I look forward to having you back after the uh, Winter Games and we could talk about some more of Canada's success owning the podium and the people that went through training ground. Thanks, Tony. Let's do it. I appreciate it. In this upside down world, we're all going to have to be prepared to make major changes. And there's a lot we can take away by how Andre DeGrasse approaches his life. On a dare, he tried track and field. Borrowed shoes and a standing start, he became the fastest human on the planet. No few of us will ever race that far or that fast or ever stand on a podium draped in Olympic gold. But we can take away a lot from this episode. Andre approaches his life with humility and grace combined with the will, determination, 
and resilience to be the very best that he can be. Andre DeGrasse, you inspire me. It's Tony Chapman. Let's chat soon. Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman has been a presentation of RBC. Fridays, join Tony Chapman for Chatter That Matters on the iHeartRadio Canada Talk Network.